So it is great to have you here. As I said before, my name's Dave, for those of you who don't know me. And we are in a series called Swords and Spears, where we are looking at spiritual warfare. We're looking at um, the weapons of our warfare that God has given us. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at our adversary. We did a scouting report. We looked at who he is, uh, what his weapon was, that charge of legal indebtedness. We looked at the fact that that uh, weapon that he had has been nailed to the cross by our champion, Jesus Christ, um, who made, in so doing, made a spectacle of our our adversary, of the enemy, um, and triumphed over him. And because he has triumphed over him, uh, our enemy is disarmed and disempowered, but he is not yet destroyed. We are still waiting for that final day when when all things will be made right, when he will be, the, you know, the final judgment will be cast and he will be sent to his prison, which has been set apart for him, hell, uh, and he will be cast down forever and the saints will live in eternal, glorious, wonderful joy. Uh, but because that final day has not yet come, we looked at the fact that though he is disarmed and disempowered, he still prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, doesn't he? And so we looked at this idea that we are in a battle, that we're in a spiritual battle, that this enemy hates the children of God and is trying at every opportunity to tear the children of God down. And as he is trying to tear us down, God has not left us alone without, um, without weapons. He's given us weapons to fight against our adversary. And so last week, I think Robin did a fantastic job, Amen of looking at the name, so one of those weapons being the name. Today we're looking at the word, we're looking at the blood, we're looking at uh, the church. The weapons that God has given us to fight against our adversary until that day, the now and not yet of the kingdom, that we have the power and authority of Christ, we live in this now and not yet. And so how do we fight in that space? How do we fight against the adversary? How do we take our stand against the enemy's scheme? So Key verses, we're going to start right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In looking at these weapons that God has given us to handle our adversary, he says, for though, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We looked at that idea that that's the battleground, it's the mind of humanity. And so God has given us weapons in which to fight. And um, one of those weapons that we're going to look at today is the Word. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go back to Ephesians 6. And we know that the, en- the enemy has his schemes. Who can remember what his schemes are? To deceive, to accuse, and to distract. So our enemy, the adversary, comes against humanity looking to deceive, accuse, and distract. And the way that we, we fight, they are his schemes. And so God says, finally be strong in the Lord. Or Paul says this of God, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against the deception, against the accusation, against distraction. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rules and authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he says this, 
Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword, someone say sword, Sword. of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us your Word. We thank you that your Word is mighty to tear down strongholds. We thank you that your Word is powerful. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone. So teach us today the power of this Word. Teach us how to wield it that we may take our stand against the devil's schemes and we may begin to walk in the victory which you bought for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, A few years back, I was sitting around uh, a fire with an old friend of mine, actually a guy who used to go to Allgate way, way, way back in the day. I'm talking 16 years ago. And um, he used to be a man of great faith. He's still a, a, a friend of mine who... A uh, very learned guy, loves his history, uh, great to talk to, wonderful fellow to have a good long chat with. We were sitting around a fire, having a drink of grape juice, and um, talking about life, talking about faith, and he sort of has long wandered from the church, and so a part of our conversation came around this idea of church and faith, and that's often where conversations end with me, and we're chatting away, having this great chat, and this, as we were talking, this elephant was sort of growing in the atmosphere around us. I kept going to scripture, he kept quoting history books, and he kept quoting other authors, and eventually I just made this comment, and I said, so you've given up on Jesus? And he said, no, 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 he goes, no, I still identify as Christian. He goes, David, you've got to understand that believing in Jesus and believing in a book are two very different things. And in that moment, I think he actually struck a chord that resounds with a lot of people in our culture, where they want Jesus, but they don't want the Word. You know, we, want, we, we love the, the moral Jesus, we love elements of Jesus that we think are nice, the love and all that sort of stuff, and so we look at Jesus as guru and like, yeah, 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 no, I, I like Jesus, but can I really believe the Word of God? Like, can I... Can I really trust it? Do I really need it? And I think in that moment, what he and many others missed is that Jesus and the Word of God are so interconnected. To reject the Word is actually to reject Christ. And to reject Christ is to reject the Word. And we're going to have a look at that. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But I wonder for you as, you, as you think about your friends, your situation, your cultural context, how often has that appeared to you, this, this disconnect between Jesus and, and the Bible, particularly in our culture where the Bible is becoming more and more like people, it, it's a book, it's a reference, it's not a way of life. But that's not how Jesus saw it, and that's not how God intended it. This is a weapon. This is not just a book. This is not just Gulliver's Travels. (laughs) This is a mighty weapon, powerful, capable of taking down strongholds. 
And we would do well to know that, we would do well to be aware of that, and to stand firm on that. And so as a part of these, these conversations which I have with these guys around this sort of stuff, it, it really begs the question of what is the word? What is the word? How, how do we, uh, how are we properly to understand this connectedness between God and his word and, and really dive into it? And so I just want to, can I teach for a little bit this morning? Can I take us back to school for a moment and then we'll get real practical? But we need to understand, how many of you heard that, that Jesus is the word? Jesus is the word of God. John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Yes? We talked about it. So Jesus is the word of God. You would agree with that, that Jesus is the word of God. How many of you know that the Bible is the word of God? And so we've got Jesus being the word and we've got the Bible being the word. What's with that? Is Jesus actually a book? Is the book Jesus? What, like, what is that? It's a really fascinating thing. In the Greek, there's, there's actually two words the Greeks use to talk about this idea of the Word of God. The first being logos, everyone say logos, and the second being rhema, everyone say rhema. And um, basically, when we're talking about logos and rhema, the way that it's usually used is the logos is supposed to represent the whole message of God from beginning to end. So the logos is the, the beginning to end reason, logic, message of God. Spoken, written, it is, that's the Logos. It is the Word of God. God has spoken, it is done, that is the Logos. Rhema is often used to talk about that momentary Word of God, that, that Word that leaps off the page. When you're having a moment and you go to the Word and you're sitting there and you read and there's just that verse which jumps out at you like it never has before. Anyone had that before? And it's that God, it's the, it's the Word when someone's preaching and there's just one thing that goes bam and just hits you so hard in the heart. You're like, oh, that's the momentary word of God. It's the prophetic word that someone speaks over you. Maybe even the dream that you might have. It's that momentary word of God. Caution, side note, word of caution. There are people who now talk about this idea of the logos. Are you still with me? And the rhema, and they often say that we're after this rhema, this new word of God. I just, I don't want this. I want a fresh revelation. I want something new. I just want the rhema word of God to speak to me. And there's this movement going down this line. But we would do very well to be cautious of that. Because both, and Peter and Paul do it in their writings all the time. When you read them in the Greek, what you will find is often they will actually use rhema and logos interchangeably. So they'll be talking about the logos, the whole message. And in the very same sentence, they'll then throw rhema in there. Why? Because what they're trying to say to us is the momentary, prophetic, instant, leap-off-the-page word of God is tied up within the Logos. They are not separate. God is not speaking something that he has not already spoken. All right? We need to understand that, that what God has spoken, the Logos, is set and final. He has said it, now every momentary word must align with what he has already said. It will never ever be something new. Now some of you are in Isaiah 43 and you're going, but oh, but Dave, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. (laughs) Do you not perceive it? And I will say to you, well, read Isaiah 43 and understand it's talking about Jesus. (laughs) He's talking about, I'm going to do something new, I'm going to fulfill my word. I'm going to bring the Logos in flesh and fulfill it in Christ. That is the new thing. 
No more sacrificing lambs and bulls. There will be a once-for-all sacrifice so you can walk into eternal life and walk in his life and power. That's the new thing. And Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. So please understand that, yes, I believe, we believe as a church in the prophetic, absolutely. But if the prophetic doesn't align with the already Logos spoken word of God, it's not prophetic, it's deception. It must and will always align with that which he has already spoken. Let me put it another way. Are you okay? Yeah. Psalm 138 verse 2, God says, I have exalted my word above all my name. Now, last week we learned that names about authority, position, and power. Amen? And God himself has said, I have exalted my word above my name. What he is saying is, I have set my word in stone. He's saying, my word, I am subjecting myself to my word. Therefore, what I have spoken is final. It is done. I'm not adding anything to it. And this is where these other religions get themselves in trouble because someone in the 1800 writes another Bible and says, oh, God spoke again. Now, God has spoken. He has set it in stone, right? And so we have this, this word that God has exalted the word above his own name. Now, let's unpack this a little bit more. Is that all right? Are you with me still? Let's unpack it a little, little bit more because, interestingly, if Jesus is the word, he says... He says, in the beginning was the word, so the Logos, right? So he says, I am the word. This is what Jesus is, is declaring, like in the, or John's declaring, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is the word, but we also know that scripture is the word. Let me throw some verses at you. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That was Logos he's using there. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, so it's what they're speaking, it's that what they're declaring, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, the Logos which is indeed at work in you who believe. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God, the Logos, everyone say Logos, Logos, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Make it plain, David. Okay. The word of Jesus and the written word of God are both the Logos. Therefore, both are a sword, but what does that mean for us? What's the connectedness, all right? Here's basically what it's saying. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, all right? Scripture tells us that the word is life. Jesus also says, my words are spirit and life in the book of John. So we're seeing this connectedness, that Jesus is life, that the word of God, the established written word of God is life, and the things that Jesus spoke are life. It's all there. It's interconnected. What Jesus is saying is, I am the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken. It's like, you cannot separate me from it. You can't take me and reject what God has spoken because I am the very thing, the very essence of all that he spoke. And if you read this, 
you will see Christ. You cannot help but see it because this is supposed to reveal Christ. Amen? And if you encounter Jesus, the only way you can encounter Jesus is by having a revelation of this because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So there's this powerful interconnectedness. Let me take you one step deeper, friends. Is it all right? 2 Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, when you hear that, how many, you should go straight to Genesis 2. Because what happens in Genesis 2, it's the same word that they use in the Greek, the same word when he says that God made humanity, it was lifeless and formless, and then he breathed on them the breath of life. He's saying that Scripture, God is breathing. As we breathe on Scripture, that means this comes to life. It is the word, it is the sword that is living and active. It carries the same power of the breath of God that brought life to humanity. And so that same power that exists right here is the same very breath of God. He's saying, this word is my very breath. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is that he is the fulfillment of this very word. He is the message of God. That's what Jesus is. He is the message of God. And everything he did was to fulfill this. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so when we open the word of God, we are not opening a book. We are opening life. We are opening the very breath of God on paper. And as we open it and as the words and we read it, we are reading the entire message of God from beginning to end to humanity to reveal Christ. And then when we look at Christ, we see that message made manifest on earth. And it's supposed to make us fall on our knees in worship of all that God has done. Friends, this word is mighty and powerful. And we would do well to read it. In the West, we've got reams and reams of Bibles sitting in shops. We've got Bibles on our coffee tables collecting dust. And so often we'll get to it, we'll just read a tiny little bit and go, oh yeah, I'm done. Got that finished, now I'll move on to the next thing. This is life. It's God-breathed. It's powerful and it's mighty and in other cultures there are people who would give, who have died for this, who would give anything just to have the word of God. There's amazing stories of people in concentration camps back in years ago and they ran out of toilet paper to wipe their, after their business and in the end the soldiers used to just rip pages of the Bible and just give it to them. And you know what those people did in those concentration camps? They took that, they cleaned it, and they sat with it. And as they read it, they were strengthened, they were emboldened, they were enlivened. Because it's not just a book, it's the breath of God. It is the very message of Christ to us. That's what this book is. It is a weapon. The word of God. Amen.
So it's a weapon. Now, let me, I want to just unpack that a little bit. So how is it a weapon? How is this book significant? How, how, does it, how do we use it to fight against the devil's devices? And the first one I want to bring to your attention is this, that this is, this is light. This is a lamp. You know, Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like this word is light. Now, have you ever tried to fight in the dark? I remember um, back in the day, I'm doing a camp in the next three days for Hills Christian School. It's going to be lots of fun. But when I was a new teacher, I was, you know, 22 years old, we used to do camps where we'd take the kids to this place and this other organisation would basically run the camp for us. Um, and the best part for them, like we had to put the kids to bed, but they just got to boss us around all the time and we just did whatever they wanted us to do. And every year they used to run this massive game of capture the flag. But they'd wait till it got dark because it was a night activity and it was always this awesome, like hours, epic game across huge amounts of space. But there was this one tree that had a low-hanging branch, right? (laughs) Now by day, in the light... That branch was not an issue because everyone can see it and they're like, there's a branch, I'll duck under it. But at night, when you're playing capture the flag, in the middle of nowhere where it's really dark, that branch becomes a snare. (laughs) So they had a rule that one staff member, every time they played this game, had to sit there and shine a torch on the branch. (laughs) Right? The problem was, in the big playing area, this area was kind of tucked away in a back corner and you couldn't quite see everything going on. Now, because I'm 22 years old, I'm just the young buck, they're like, Shep, you've got the branch job. So there I am, sitting down, shining the light on this branch with no action happening at all. And if you know me, you know that I'm not great at being alone particularly when something exciting is happening just around the corner. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm hearing laughter, I'm hearing yelling, I'm hearing running and joy, and I'm sitting there with a torch on a branch thinking, I just want to know what's going on. I'm excited. And so I had an idea. I thought, well, if I just get up and I walk like 40 metres this way, I could still kind of shine the torch on the branch and I'll be able to see everything that's happening. So there goes David with this great idea and I think, yeah, I've got, I can't do it anymore. I've got to check this out. So I get up and I walk along and it must have been five seconds, guys, that the light was off of the branch. And in that five seconds, there happens to be two smart Alex who are trying to sneak around the back to capture the flag and they are going flat trap. And the next thing I hear is just this thud. And I'm like, oh, I run back with my torch. And this other guy's like sort of skidded under. And he's seen this mate go down who's cracked his head on this branch. And he's bleeding. And he looks like he's gone 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. And he's got gravel scraped all up his body. And I'm just, I'm like, oh, God, no, I'm in so much trouble. One job to shine a light on a branch, and I couldn't even do that. <laughs> so I run over, I'm like, oh, you are right? And I'm like, mate, go and get the staff. And they come over, and we ended up stopping the game, and this kid had to go, and we had to, like, you know, sort him out. And I've, 
I heard it for the next six years of this camp, every year. Don't let Shepherd do the brunch and all that sort of stuff. He can't even shine a light. When it's dark, you can't see the snare. When it's light, the snare doesn't become an issue. And this is exactly true for faith and life. The enemy works in the shadows. He works in the darkness. And so if we stay in the dark, then we are subject to his wares. But as soon as we shine a light on the devices of the enemy, as soon as we shine a light on the deception, on the accusation, on the distraction, on the snares of the evil one, it lights it up and they are no longer an issue. We can see it for what it is and we can move past it. Amen? This is the word. The word is our torch. It is our light. It is the thing to shine upon the branches of the enemy and say, you're not going to get me. But if we don't use the very light that we have, we're fighting a battle in the dark with the guy who loves the shadows. And we need to be aware of that. We need to get the light out and just start shining it around because fighting a battle in the daylight is way easier than fighting at night. You have a light. Second thing, you have a sword. We just read it before from Ephesians 4 verse 12 that it's living and active like a two-edged sword. This is a mighty weapon. This is a mighty weapon. Do you know what a sword does? It just penetrates to dividing soul and spirit. I love that idea that when the enemy gets a foothold, when the enemy gets a grab of us and he's like, it's like having, you know, I've got this weird lump in my hand, right, which I don't know where it's come from. In order to get it out, someone's going to have to get a scalpel and just go vroom and pull it out. What the great thing about a sword is that it just cuts down deep and it gets rid of the muck, all right? It's able to get in there and it's able to get rid of that stuff. And the thing about a sword is it's able, like, you you can pull that thing out. When the enemy starts to come against you, you're not just defenseless, you're not just with your shield just hiding in a corner. Now you can pull that sword out and you can start to get on the offensive. As he starts to speak lies, you start to declare truth because his word is truth and that is enacting the sword and you're like, I'm not going to just sit here and let you just get your spear and start stabbing me. Take this! And you get the sword out and you start to fight back and the purpose of a sword is to take ground not to lose ground. And this is the means through which we take ground. As we start to declare it, we start to use it, we start to wield our sword. I'm going to move on. Third thing that we see, it's an anchor. The Bible tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. All right, What is the hope? The hope is the promise of God. What is the promise of God? It's the word of God. It's an anchor. Why is an anchor important? Because it's sure footing. Have you ever tried to fight when you don't have sure footing? Have you ever wrestled a brother or sister without sure footing? Do you know what happens? It's really hard. Ever tried to have a wrestle with someone whilst ice skating but with no ice skates or in sneakers? What happens? You fall over and you hurt yourself. No one's wrestled on the ice before. Okay. <laughs> for in Canada, people are like, hey, man, brother. Jordan, I'm looking for you wherever you are. Sure footing, it's an anchor. It actually helps us when the storm, like when we're in those moments where the storms are raging and battering against us and we don't feel like we can get the sword out and swing it or we don't feel like the torch is doing much. What it does is it holds us. It keeps us grounded in the storm. 
when life and the enemy is pressing and pushing and we feel like we're under siege, we know that we have an anchor that's going to hold us for the day when the light can shine and break through, amen? And we need that, we need that anchor. Third thing, in the book of Jer- uh, fourth thing, the book of Jeremiah, it says this, Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah 23, 25 to 29. Jeremiah 23, 25 to 29. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but the one who has a word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. What's he saying? He's saying that when the accusations and lies come, when someone's speaking false truth, the word is like a refining fire. It's like a hammer that will crush the lies, that will expose the lies. We love that that idea that um, God is a refining fire. He's the one who one day will burn all that which is worthless and it will all be destroyed and only that which is tested by fire will stand true and be like pure gold. When the lies are coming, there's something about the word of God that enables us to see through all the mess. It enables us to see what is true, to declare what is true, and everything else that is not will be burnt up or destroyed by the word of God. But if you're not using the word, how do you know? If all it is is opinion, if all it is what someone else thinks, if all it is is based on just my experience, how can you decipher what is deceiving and what is accusation and what is distraction? You can't. The only way you can is with the word of God. It is a weapon that is mighty. Amen. All right, let's get cracking. How do we use it? Because that's really what it comes down to. All well and good to give me theology, Dave. Tell me how to use it. First thing, prayer. I, I get a bit angry when people talk about prayer being a weapon. Prayer is not a weapon. Prayer is an action that enables us to wield a weapon right? I could sit there and pray, dear Lord Jesus, I need a mountain bike. Give me what I want. Dear Lord Jesus, make it sunny today, even though there's farmers who desperately need rain. Like, we can pray for what we want, but what we're supposed to do is pray the word of God. When the disciples went to Jesus, how do I pray? And he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This idea that I've got to exalt God, I've got to humble myself before a mighty God. We need to learn to pray the word of God. And as we pray the word of God, what we are doing is we're picking up that sword. We're shining that light. We're securing ourselves in the anchor and we are demolishing the arguments of the enemy. And you've got to learn to pray the word of God. You've got to learn to pray truth, not just what someone else has told you, not just what you want to happen, but pray truth. Pray the word as you pray, as you get on your knees and you start to talk to God through his word and believe in his promises, all of a sudden you start to have power and you start to see the arguments and the accusations, you start to see the deceptions of the enemy crumble to the ground because we're praying truth. The second thing 
is proclamation and the preaching of the word. This is why church is important. Because it's a church where you're guaranteed to hear the word preached. But again, if a pastor's getting up there and all they're doing is telling you what they think and they're not going to the word of God, get out of there. If I ever start doing that, boot me out of here. Please. The proclamation of God's word, the hearing of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We need to proclaim it. We need to speak it. We need to declare it. We need to listen to it. So we need to be listening to preaching. We need to be in small groups listening to the word being proclaimed. We need to be reading it. We need to be speaking it out. Write verses on your walls and start to affirm them and speak them over yourselves. The promises of God, the truth of God. Don't get in a Bible study with someone and say, now, this is how I perceive this message. This is how I interpret it and what it means to me. No! It's not about what it means to you. It's about what is God saying. So get around the word of God and say, what is God saying? Have robust conversations. Do some research. Throw it back and forth. Wrestle with it a little bit. And as you do that, truth will be made known. Amen? So we've got to proclaim the word. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to close. But here's the third thing, which has God's wrecked me on this this week. And this is praise. The third way in which we wield the weapon of truth is praise. How many of you know there's something about a song? You know, this week has been, this week has been a big week pastorally in the life of this church. So as a church family, we have been, we have been praying and believing for Ashawezi that she would be healed, that she would be restored, that we would see that. And on Friday, Joel rang me up and he said, Dave, I've got to, he was supposed to, we were supposed to be doing some stuff on Friday and he just said, I've got to go, I've got to go to Albury-Wodonga because the doctors have said Asha's only got a couple of days to live. And I, I, just my heart just broke and as we were chatting, we were praying, we were talking, I started to think about the fact that this, you know, this beautiful woman of God with three young children and a husband who's just basically my age, God's going to take her home. Now we know that that's the ultimate miracle is that he would have even made a way for us to be in his presence. But it's the now not yet of the kingdom. And I started thinking about Trav and I started thinking about what he's going to go through. I started thinking about those kids and what they're going to go through. And as I started thinking about them, I started thinking about you guys. As I look around this room right now, there's so many faces and each face represents a soul. And each soul represents a story. And each story is different, but so many of your stories involve the sliding along the gravel the battle, being tested by fire. So many of you know what it's like to suffer, to go through some stuff. And I just got to thinking that how, like, for so many of you and for Trav and and now thinking of Adrian who's a friend and I can't even imagine as a father, an 11-year-old girl. There are days 
in those instances where prayer is hard. It's not easy just to get on your knees and say, our Father who art in heaven in those times. It's really not easy to start speaking scripture and to listen to preaching and to proclaim truth in those times. But there's something about a song. There's something in those moments when the enemy's sitting on your shoulder saying, give it up. Where is your God now? And I promise, Trav's going to hear that. Where is your God in all of this? He's supposed to be a loving God. He's supposed to be a kind God. How can you possibly go on with everything that's happening in your world? And some of you have heard that. Some of you have felt that. And the enemy will sit there and he whispers, and there's something about a song where you can just put it on and in the midst of that time when you can't pray and you can't proclaim, but you can have truth being sung over your soul. You know, in that time where you can't go on, you can't go on, there's, I've just, like the song that's been on my heart for, for Trav and for, for Joel is this, that beautiful old song, Because He Lives. You know, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. There's something about a song, isn't there? There's something about praise where we can sit in a space and we can just have worship and praise roll over us. And this is scriptural because this, is, this happens like how often did the psalmist in declaring how life was sucking finish with that idea, but yet will I praise thee, my saviour and my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise you. I will yet praise you. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and the vines produce no fruit, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, what does he say? Yet will I praise and rejoice in him. There's something about praise in the difficult times that actually help us slide out the sword. Because you know what praise does? Praise just gets you to a point when the truth is being heard that will get you to a place of prayer. And when you get to the place of prayer, you start to get to the place of proclaiming. And as you start to get to the place of proclaiming, all of a sudden the light starts to shine in the darkness the sword starts to come out and you start to be enlivened and emboldened and strengthened in your situation. Because the word of God is a weapon that is mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. So friends, can we get into the word? Can we wield the weapon this week? Can we pray this week? Can we praise? Can we proclaim God's word? Can we get the weapon out. And when the adversary comes, don't just sit there, but pull out your sword. And this is again why church is so important because sometimes you can't do that. You don't feel like that. But when you gather and you've, you've got family around you singing praise and proclaiming God and praying over you, they are wielding the sword for you. 
And we prioritise everything else over the presence of God. We prioritise so many other things, kids' parties, Sunday sport, all this stuff. We need to be in the presence of God. We need to be with the people of God because when we can't wield the weapon, they will wield it for us. And not just about you because sometimes someone next to you needs you to wield the weapon for them. And next week, we're going to be blessed with a sermon by a guy called Dave Heliard from Compassion who's going to preach on this, on this community. But let's get into the Word. Let's be prepared to speak it over each other, pray it over each other, and let's praise our guts out to wield the weapon. Stand to your feet. Let me pray. Oh, gracious God, we love you. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word is life. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword, that it is living and active. We thank you that your word is what brings hope and that hope is an anchor for our soul. We thank you that your word is like a fire and a hammer. It is not just a book. It is the very means through which Christ is revealed to his people. It's the means through which we encounter the living God. And so, God, we want to encounter you. We want to come before you. We want to just dive into your word through prayer, proclamation, and praise. And we give you glory, and I pray that you would bless this family this week, that you would bless this church, bless each and every person in their individual walk with their individual struggles May they know the power of your word in their life, the power of your promises. And that they would walk in that victory, that they would not be defenceless, but they would take ground this week, that we would take ground this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.